In a lot of rural communities, the internet access isn't good enough to take advantage of all the web has to offer, to connect your small business to a worldwide market, to stream a Netflix movie or download an audiobook, or listen to your favorite podcast about, say, the Farm Bill. If you live in an urban area, you may take high-speed internet for granted, but according to the FCC, 19 million rural Americans and 1.4 million on tribal lands don't have access to what's really a requirement for success in a connected world. It is really equivalent to me uh, bypassing the industrial age, right? Not investing in industrial parks or not investing in four-lane highways. So it's definitely a concern that it's bad now and it might not get better. From NET, Nebraska's PBS and NPR stations, I'm Grant Gerlach, and this is On the Table, a podcast that brings you stories about how the Farm Bill shapes our food system, and in this case, shapes the economic viability of rural communities. The 2018 Farm Bill is now law, and that means it's time for the words on the page to become action on the ground. And one area where the Farm Bill pushes the USDA to take action is broadband. The rural development section of the law puts an emphasis on fixing this great disconnect many rural areas experience. So in this episode, we're learning more about what that connection means to rural communities and why so many still don't have it. Let's start by heading to the town of Swiss, Missouri. Well, it's uh, it's kind of in east central Missouri. Um, it's one of those places that's called a wide spot in the road. This is Jonathan All, a reporter for Harvest Public Media and St. Louis Public Radio. He went to Swiss recently to report on a story about broadband there, or the lack of it. I went to Swiss, Missouri because I was told to, because, uh, you know, in talking about a small, successful business in a very rural area that struggled with Internet issues, uh, Swiss meat and sausage in the small town of Swiss is what came up. Swiss meat and sausage. It's a meat locker, the kind of place where farmers would bring their cattle and pigs to be processed, that has grown into a bigger business. And now it's run by these five sisters, the children of the couple who started it. And uh, they've grown quite a bit to be kind of a specialty meat company that was uh, providing uh, high-quality meats for uh, places all over the Midwest. So it's one of those local success stories that the people who live near there are very proud of, but they're also aware that they struggle with some Internet issues because as their appeal has grown, obviously the easiest way for them to uh, reach a, a larger customer base is through the Internet, but their Internet access is so poor that that's really been a struggle for them. So is there any connection in Swiss? Do they have dial-up? What's the, what's the situation? There is internet service. It's just unreliable, and when it's on, it's slow. Janice Thomas is one of those five sisters that's uh, running uh, the operation right now, and, you know, they're looking to grow right now, and that really means online orders. Well, I think that's the one area where we need to expand. I mean, if there's one, one place that has some room... That's what we're hoping to uh, expand in the future is with our online ordering. So you've got a small town business that wants to open up and sell really to anyone who finds them online, anyone in the world. In most places, this is a no-brainer. You set up the website and online ordering, and you wait for the world to knock at your door. Except Janice Thomas says their internet service is so poor that that idea just doesn't work in Swiss. When it goes down, we can't get the orders. So 
it relies on that 100%. Ultimately, to grow the business, Thomas and her sisters are relying on an unreliable connection. And not just for orders, they rely on that same connection for their security system and the programs that control their meat coolers. Now, they've also invested in a backup wireless system, but that system has also proven to be just as unreliable and just as slow. What they really need is hardwired fiber. Um, and they don't have that there. Is Swiss typical of rural towns in that way? What does the actual picture of rural broadband look like right now? Actually, there are a lot of places um, in the Midwest and the Plains area that would love to have the level of internet access that uh, Swiss Meat and Sausage enjoys. Swiss Meat and Sausage has one bad provider. A lot of places don't have any. And the U.S. Census uh, report on broadband and, uh, and economic uh, levels shows pretty clearly that places that um, that are more economically disadvantaged, those counties, have a lot less broadband access. Let's take a moment to go over a few numbers. First of all, there are a lot of rural communities with access to the same high-speed internet found in urban America. But according to the census, there is a gap between what they call completely rural counties, where residents have an internet subscription 65% of the time, and urban counties, where 75% of households have internet. The subscription rates are especially low in rural counties with a low median income. A little bit unclear whether it's that, you know, a county is poor because they don't have broadband service or they don't have broadband service because they're poor. Uh, so there's definitely a chicken and egg question there. But um, looking at these businesses that hire people and pay pay pretty well, especially for a rural area, they would like to expand. They would like to do more. But the lack of broadband service is is a real uh, a real challenge. And it's a widespread problem. Again, 19 million people live in rural parts of the country that lack adequate broadband service. That gap has not gone unnoticed by the federal government. In fact, expanding broadband has been a priority for presidential administrations going back to George W. Bush. The same is true for the Trump administration. President Donald Trump brought it up last year when he had a meeting with state and local officials. Well, it's been very unfair what's happened with broadband in terms of the Middle West and in terms really of rural areas, as you know, and you sort of were a victim of it too, but now it's gonna be taken care of. We're spending a great deal of money on that. It's only fair. And they want it. When you look at the Farm Bill, there's a whole section on rural development. And broadband expansion is a priority for the USDA, right up there with rural water systems and housing projects. The Farm Bill authorizes the Rural Utilities Service, which is an agency that awards loans and grants to small towns to build out their broadband systems. And just as President Trump pledged last year, the government is putting more money toward the problem. Well, there's a lot of different ways that, that that's coming to fruition. Uh, first of all, I guess it's just important to note that the USDA, um, under the guidance of the Trump administration, has made this um, a, a priority of sorts. Um, the, the, you know, in December, the USDA announced that they're offering $600 million in grants and low-interest loans uh, to help expand broadband in rural areas. Um, that is on top of a, another a program of similar size the year before. That broadband money from the USDA comes on top of funding from the Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, which has its own broadband programs, including the Connect America Fund, or CAF. The latest round of spending in that fund is worth $2 billion. So 
lots of acronyms, and lots of money. And then you have places like in Missouri, uh, the governor in his State of the State address uh, talked about uh, adding, uh, uh, I think it was 5 or $10 million in, into a, a rural broadband expansion program. You know, again, but we're talking about what sounds like a lot of money. And if you are one of those places that gets one of those grants or those low interest loans, and you're one of the targeted ones, it can mean it can be a game changer. But it also just means that the other rural areas that don't get that are still behind and arguably get further behind. And so what are elected leaders saying about it? Well, when you talk about we have a rural broadband issue, they say, well, here's one of the things that we're doing to fix it. But it is a drop in the bucket. Billions of dollars, a drop in the bucket? Yes, only because in order to reach full broadband access, you need such a big bucket. A 2017 estimate by the FCC put the cost of universal broadband access in the U.S. at around $80 billion. At the current pace, it'll still take years, maybe decades, to make broadband available to everyone. So what does all this mean for a town like Swiss? I mean... How does the lack of high-speed internet put them at a disadvantage? What are some things that they could be able to do that they really aren't able to? Well, and that's where it gets a little bit tricky because a lot of it is anecdotal and a lot of it is stuff that we just don't know for sure. For example, there could be someone who is looking for a place to live and they might want to live in Swiss, uh, but then when they see what the internet access is like, they would choose somewhere else. Uh, Swiss Meat and Sausage is a company that may expand. If they had better internet access and they had more internet orders, might they be able to add two or three more jobs? Possibly. So it's really hard to know exactly what a town like Swiss is missing, um, but looking at how important high-speed internet access is to economic development, to business growth, even to things like, you know, uh, being able to get information, to be part of a healthcare system, uh, to enjoy things that people take for granted in a more urban area, like being able to log into Netflix and watch a movie. That's something that's a lot more difficult to do in a rural area. Well, it's, uh, it's plain and simple to me. Uh, they're missing out on the digital age, which is unfolding as we speak. This is Roberto Gallardo, an economist at Purdue University. I am assistant director of the Purdue Center for Regional Development. I wanted to talk to Gallardo because he's worked with rural communities on not only connecting to broadband, but also making it part of their economic development strategies. If they are not connected, if they don't have the digital literacy skills, and if they don't have the mindset, uh, they're going to be left behind. And so it is really equivalent to me uh, bypassing the industrial age, right? Not investing in industrial parks or not investing in four-lane highways or railroads or uh, not having broadband is really going to put any community at a disadvantage. Why is it so hard to extend broadband to places that don't have it or, or that don't have internet that's fast enough? I mean, there's been billions of dollars in federal funding put into this already, haven't there? Uh, yes. Uh, and so it depends how you define broadband, right? Uh, uh, depends who you ask. Uh, you you would be surprised of the presentations, workshops I've given across the country. Uh, I always ask, what is broadband? And I always get different definitions from a, from a small audience. So if we're going to look at broadband as always on and faster than dial-up, as the FCC currently defines it, uh, I guess the entire country is doing fine. 
but when you look at the 25.3 threshold, then we start to see some discrepancies. 25.3, that's a download speed of 25 megabits per second and an upload speed of 3 megabits. It's a basic plan at a lot of places, and for most federal programs, it's shorthand for broadband. There are a lot of different ways to reach that speed, but they all encounter the same problem when you move out of urban areas. When we look at technology and speeds, uh, the number one issue we have is density, right? There is no density in rural communities. It is very expensive for the providers uh, to build out as uh, homes and farms and businesses are, are further apart. And so that's uh, uh, an issue because their math doesn't work. It makes sense. In urban areas, you have lots of customers who live close together, and it's a pretty easy investment. But installing miles of fiber optic cable for a handful of customers is not a very attractive business plan. And it's one thing to dig into the rolling prairie, but installing cables across mountains and valleys is an even harder sell. As Gallardo puts it, the ROI, or return on investment, doesn't look good. If the big providers uh, could get a decent ROI, if the, in other words, their math would work, yeah, we would have a different landscape. The reality is it doesn't. And so you've got to sit in uh, or, or deploy another set of mechanisms to make sure that 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 landscape, you know, is adequate for the 21st century. And so I think uh, we've got to uh, take a deep look into, OK, what type of partnerships are needed. But I, there is one thing that I can assure you is there will have to be some sort of subsidized mechanism or incentive from the government to reach uh, these rural communities that are uh, have inadequate connectivity. Gallardo says one problem is that the funding runs into blind spots. And he says you can see that by looking at the national broadband map put together by the FCC. As you zoom in, cities are usually dark blue, meaning they have four or five broadband providers, maybe more. Outside of that, areas tend to be light green, meaning there are just one or two options. But Gallardo says that can be misleading. It often appears that a home or a town has a connection that's not really available. And that's because the map draws information from something called FCC Form 477. Every provider needs to file it twice a year. Uh, they have to uh, indicate what technology, what advertised speeds, and they can uh, rather quickly serve a particular area. That's, in, in a nutshell, what Form 477 captures. The problems with Form 477 are, are three. The first one is it's carrier self-reported, so it's not validated by third parties or the customers themselves. The second problem is granularity. The FCC Form 477 looks down at the most granular census geography, which is the census block. And so in urban areas, you've got very small blocks, but in rural areas, you've got blocks that are larger than DC. And if one particular customer is served in that entire block, all the block is considered served. And so that obviously you've got a problem because if you're in the southeast corner of that block and you are served, then the entire block appears as it is served, while the northwest corner is totally out of luck. So that's an issue. And the third issue is that it reports advertised maximum speeds. So it says we are advertised maximum speed in that block through this technology is say 25 megs per you know megabits per second. Well, that's advertised, right? And if you 
If you have DSL at home and you are the third one down the line from that DSLAM box, you will notice that a Friday evening you are not even close to that 25 just because of the nature of technology. So those three are the, the problems. So when you take those three together, uh, you can see why the data over the maps are kind of like, well, okay, so you, we've got to validate that and we've got to find better ways to map. Because right now, I use the analogy that it's the equivalent of fumbling in the dark to uh, when you're uh, reaching out for your keys. Uh, and that's what we're doing. The maps can create confusion when lawmakers try to target broadband funding for the communities that need it most. Remember, the basic speed for broadband is considered 25-3. Well, the Farm Bill puts top priority on areas that lack access above 10-1. That's a download speed of 10 megabits per second. Okay, so lacking 10-1, what exactly do you mean? Do you mean referring to the map only, which I doubt it, that's rarely the case, or are you going to end up sending some folks out there to double check on that? Does that include wireless? Does that include mobile wireless 10-1? If it does, then that's another layer that may uh, make you ineligible. So it's on the fine print, right? It'll be whomever gets appropriated or designated to implement that policy is going to have to figure out those fine details. Gallardo says as regulators put that policy into practice, it would help to have more accurate mapping to reveal the true blind spots in broadband funding. But he also points out that in some rural communities, broadband is simply a back burner issue. Many communities already have other issues, right? Other big issues, opioiding and um, unemployment and health issues and crime perhaps that overshadow broadband. You've got to be mindful of that if, if you're working with communities. You can't push too much because you've got to realize that they have other issues that, that are taking their, their scarce resources and time. When Gallardo told me that, it reminded me of a story I heard from Jonathan All of Harvest Public Media. At the same time he was reporting on the town of Swiss, he made calls to a couple counties in southern Missouri, two of the poorest in the state and with the worst broadband connections. He called to ask if they would apply for federal grants to build broadband infrastructure. Both said, no, they don't plan to. It's not like they have an economic development director who can write an application for a grant. So it's definitely a concern that it's bad now and it might not get better. So there are some counties that they're really at risk of being left behind. Arguably, they've already been left behind. Uh, because they, they don't have any internet access. They don't have uh, the infrastructure to apply for grants, which seems to be the way that if there's going to be any help, it's going to be by targeted grants. But if you don't have the people who have the experience and the savvy and the knowledge to write a grant and get it and implement it, um, it, it could leave you even further behind. The government is looking to spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year to expand broadband. And these sound like places that should be in the running, but they're not. That made more sense after I talked to Roberto Gallardo, because broadband is not the only problem these towns are trying to solve, and because he says behind all that technical infrastructure, there's human infrastructure. In other words, the first resource a town often needs to get the ball rolling isn't money or an engineering plan. It's a leader. You've got to have somebody that's beating the drum constantly. It may move fast, it may move slow, but you need somebody at the local level that it's really the, it's that champion, right? And, and it applies to any type of thing, not only broadband. 
But that's what I've seen m- many communities kind of struggle with. They don't have this champion uh, that is persistent, that is patient. Uh, and so that, that, that's another barrier that I would like to point out. Money from the Farm Bill or these other programs can make broadband more affordable for rural communities. But to really make the most of these funds, Gallardo says the people who live there have to be invested in their own future. With the new farm bill signed into law and USDA funding allocated to farmers, ranchers, and rural and urban communities across America, that wraps up this season of On the Table. We'll be looking for more stories to tell, but we hope we've been able to break down this complex federal law into bite-sized pieces that help all of us understand how the farm bill not only affects how our food is grown, but the many ways in which the USDA supports rural and urban communities across America. If you only caught us here at the end of this run, be sure to go back and listen to the earlier episodes to hear how the Farm Bill influences how farmers conserve their soil and how urban farms do business. And there are more podcasts from NET online at netnebraska.org slash podcasts. I'm Grant Gerlach, the host of On the Table. This series is produced by me and Marianne Andre with production assistant Carlos Sandoval. Thanks again to Jonathan All and Harvest Public Media for their help with this episode. Our executive producers are Chad Davis and Dennis Kellogg. And one more thing, if you haven't posted a review of On the Table on iTunes, it's not too late. It would still help more people find the show and hear these stories. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.